So some, some uh, you know, things are easier to teach on and easier to talk about than others. And uh, most of the time we want to talk about Jesus is good and he's in a good mood and he's a nice guy and he loves you. And uh, he's uh, on our sides. And uh, the good news is that we're going to talk about that again today. It doesn't sound like it, though. So don't brace yourself. Don't worry. This is not bad news. Um, we often have this idea, I think, that Jesus... Uh, what, what we're going to see today is the, the, the tough side of God. The, the, the God who doesn't mess around. The God who doesn't back down. The God who didn't send his son into the world to just uh, invent church as an, you know, an alternative to synagogue. I don't know about you, but I don't want an anemic piano-playing Jesus, personally, or a stained-glass figure who doesn't look like he's ever put his hand against anything tough. Um, I also don't want the alternative, which is a thug, who's always angry, who's kind of a retired hell's angel, and he'll boot you into the corner every time you come close to him. And many people have that extreme. One of those extremes is their sense of God. Many people who are not in churches see God like that. He's either the thug who's going to destroy the fun that I'm having, or he's just pathetic and is totally irrelevant to my life. And when Jesus came into the world, he did rock the boat. And if he came into our world, he would rock the boat. He does rock the boat. He's a rocker. He rocks the boat. How would you like the church to be run by Pharisees? Do you know what a Pharisee is? The church was run by Pharisees when Jesus was a child. Through his whole childhood, his young adult life, it was run by the uh, institutional guys. They had worked out what the Old Testament meant. The Old Testament had shut down 200 years before Jesus. Uh, they had a system, and they worked the system. And if you did this, God would do that. That was the law. If you did this, and you did that, and you did this, then God would do that. But God isn't gentle, and he's not kind, and he doesn't really like you. That was the culture in which Jesus grew up. It was very religious. It was very impersonal. It was very distant. God lives in a church and he lives ultimately in the Holy of Holies up in Jerusalem. We were at Soaking Prayer in the other building about three or four years ago and, and I was sort of standing there and I had this picture of the Holy of Holies. And it was just this empty box and tourists were going through it. And it was just like God saying, I'm not there anymore. And because of what Jesus revealed, we know that God is one who is kind and good. And he actually likes you and me before we see him, before we even know him. And that he never gives up on us. And he's not particularly upset by all our sins and all our mistakes. He's not upset in the sense of he wants to reject us. He's upset that we have to go through it all. He's upset because he loves you very much. And when he sees what's happening, he just goes, oh, how long that you'd come to me. But you would not. And he came, this passage in Luke, uh, when Jesus, I spoke last week about, say, you know, say, look at your hands. How many of you have seen germs? 
we thought a bit about that, um, that Jesus came to actually say, uh, there is a battle here. And there is a very, very tough battle. And I was walking somewhere to this week and thought of the, why do hostages fall in love with those who capture them? So I looked it up on the internet and it's called the Stockholm Syndrome. Where people are taken captives by somebody who has no desire to do them any good. They're using them for their own ends. And over the time that they, they captured, they, some affinity grows very often. And there's a, faith, there's a, a love even. And there's a loyalty that continues after, if it plays out peacefully, carries on. And God seemed to say to me, and, and I say this in the, in the gentlest way to all of us, including myself. He said, my people suffer from Stockholm Syndrome. And they don't even know it. They're in love with the enemy. They don't know there is an enemy. They think it's themselves. So they don't know what it is I've even come to set them free from because they're not even aware they need to be set free. And so when Jesus went up and he healed the man who was mute, and he, he healed him by casting out a demon, in that culture it wasn't that much of a revelation. In our culture they said, what do you mean you can have a demon? He says, well, you live in a world that has been taken hostage by Satan. It's a fallen world. That's why everything in this world, if you, don't, if you leave it, everything that's human, if it's left alone, decays. The only thing that doesn't really decay is nature. Because it just re, it, you know, it, it, it recultivates itself and all the rest of it. But everything that human beings have created, everything that human beings touch, decays as soon as it's left alone. So that's why we have to dust all the time and paint all the time and repair all the time. Because everything goes back to dust. And Jesus came into the world and eventually at the age of 30, after having to endure far more sermons than most of us have had to endure by the Pharisees, he goes, thank God, let's get on with this. Because I'm bored stiff in these synagogues. And he came back into them and he started healing people and he started declaring things and the Pharisees got really ticked off because he was rocking the boat. And this is a story today and this is an encounter with God which goes, you know, we often have this thing of, I don't feel comfortable. Anybody had that feeling? I don't feel comfortable. So therefore I don't, and you fill in the blank. And it's, it's really important, and we talked last week when we were looking at demons and germs and everything, of asking about when you go for a medical checkup, how, f how comfortable you feel. How comfortable you feel in this really awkward-looking cloth thing, and they poke holes in you and, and go in places you nobody should go in, and you, know, you don't feel comfortable. But you do it because your health is at risk. And so when God starts working in us, guess what? Sometimes we don't feel comfortable. And it's just part of the journey. And if we never feel discomfort with God, we're very dead. That's what Jeannie was really saying. If you numb out enough, you'll never feel uncomfortable, but you'll never feel alive either. You just live a low-tolerance low life. And so Jesus came uh, and he spoke about this warfare that was underneath everything that life had. And he declared it as, I, I'm really declaring war on Satan. I don't see Satan under every bush. It's just infected everything. And he was the first person who walked on this earth after the fall to declare that the kingdom has come. And wherever the kingdom is, the influence of Satan is going to be blown apart. Now, Satan is very religious, so he doesn't mind religion at all. He's quite happy. It's like, religion is like recruiting an army and they all just sit around listening to stories. 
They never actually go and fight anybody. They don't, they don't threat to anybody. They just dress up in camouflage. They sing songs and they just go back home again. They come back, sing songs, go back home again. They're not, they're not a threat. So Satan's quite happy for people to go to church. He's very happy for you to call yourself Christian. He's very happy for you to say you're born again. He's very happy for you to say a lot of things, as long as you don't do anything. Because Jesus came to do stuff. That's why he didn't say to the disciples, just sit there and read the book. He said, follow me. They said, where are you going? I'm going this way. But my parents are over here. I know you have to leave them. What do you mean I have to leave them? He said, well, we are on a mission. They felt uncomfortable. Peter felt uncomfortable. We went in the boat, and Jesus said, go out and, and, and fish. And he goes, but it's not comfortable. Everybody's watching, and it's the morning, and I'm looking like a fool. And God was kind enough. He said, you wouldn't, you're going to look like an even greater fool if you miss this one. And he goes out and he catches fish. And he goes, oh, was I a fool? Leave me. I'm a sinful man. And his life has changed. So if you want to see breakthrough in your life, step through discomfort. Don't let discomfort and nervousness and fear and apprehension stop you. Jesus says this. He says, uh, where does he say it? In Luke chapter 11, chapter 12. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. Who's that? It's you and me. I guard my house, I guard my life, I guard my stuff. When a strong man enters and overpowers, who's that? In the, I'm just making this up. It's Jesus. When I ask Jesus into my life, it's a strong man coming in. He overpowers. I say, I, I give up. And then he starts taking off the armor that I've trusted in. See, believing in him is, is not a big deal, really, on one level. It is on another level. What's the big deal is when that belief begins to change behavior and what I trust in. That's process. And so Jesus says, uh, when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the army in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. He takes away the, army, the armor in which the man trusted. And that's really probably what I want to spend a bit of time talking about. What, what is that armor that we trust in? What are we trusting in right now? What are you trusting in right now? The armor of the world in which we live is stuff. It's money. It could be drugs. It could be work. It could be comfortable circumstances. It could be anything tangible that we can conjure up. God doesn't have to be there for it, put it that way. I trust in my stuff because God doesn't want me to be uncomfortable, right? Wrong. He will test you. This is good news, by the way. It is good news. It's perverted, but it is good news. It's, it's better news than we think because at the end of the day, we will all come to a place of revelation when we realize all our efforts or for not much. And then we go, now what? And then God says, oh, now we can do something constructive with you. But there's a discomfort that goes on in the process of learning what is important. And what Satan does is he fights God through you and me by what we find safe. So he doesn't want us to be set free. So he causes fear to rise in you that God won't be faithful. 
when circumstances go crazy. And Jesus wants us to know that he is the strong man. And we can only know that through life experience as we go through circumstances together. There are two things that Jesus absolutely values for you and for me. The one is that he is faithful and he wants you to know that. And the second thing is that he doesn't want you to be alone while you're learning that. The two things that Satan values, and that is uh, you're weak and your life is pathetic and you don't amount to much. It's called the voice of the accuser. And I would just keep quiet if I were you and hope it all passes. And what Jesus promised is not for you anyway. He's the prince of lies. So he takes everything that Jesus says and he just reverses it. And we give that authority. And he also does something really important and that is he always isolates. He always says you don't need anyone else. Don't tell them. Don't let them know because they will feel, they will shame you because he uses shame a lot. So there's accusation and shame and isolation are parts of the ways that Satan will counter everything Jesus has. And then it will all come under masked under that thing called, I don't feel comfortable. Once you get it, it's quite a lot of fun. The leper feels really comfortable touching a hot plate. <laughs> Barbecue. Oh, it's me. I mean, we're having fingers for supper. The fact that a, a leper sees no need to lift his hand off the plate is not an indication of his faith or his health. The fact that he feels peaceful with his hand on the hot plate doesn't mean anything other than he is one sick dude. And he needs somebody to help him. We need each other. So quickly, how many of you, before you came here today, locked your cars? A few of you? How many? Put your hand right up. Hi. You all locked your cars. You unbelieving, faceless bunch. Why did you lock your cars? How many of you locked your homes before you left? How many of you got fire alarms and security systems? Put your hands up. Why? Why? How many of you got insurance? How many of you got insurance? You see how sick we are? You see how sick we are? We lock our cars in the church parking lot because we're scared people are going to steal it. Yeah. You lock your home because you think somebody's going to come in and break it. And Jesus stands here and says, what about the rest of your life? You lock your stuff and you're wide open. In fact, you've been stolen a long time ago. And he came to say, I've come to set prisoners free. So one of the prayers to pray is, Lord, where has something been stolen from me? And I don't even know it's been stolen. I don't even know it's been stolen. I just think it's me. And Jesus looks at you. He'll look at every single one of us and say, uh, there's stuff that's been destroyed in you and stolen from you that I want to restore. And you go, no, but that's just me. It's my personality. He says, no, it's not. It's your broken personality. You don't even know what's possible. That's why he says, come to me and see me restore in you things you didn't even know you had. But the lie of the enemy is settle for where you are now because honestly, that's easier than where he's calling you to. Jesus calls us to life. Now, when Jesus started speaking, and then he started, he started demonstrating, we'll, that'll go away, I hope. Uh, 
When Jesus started healing and started speaking in the synagogue and started setting people free, who got mad? Why? Do you, get, do you think there's a Pharisee in you? Look at the person next. I wonder. Do you think the person next to you has got a bit of Pharisee in them? What do you think a Pharisee looks like? How big do you think the Pharisee, do you feed him or her? Maybe there's some female Pharisees. Pharisees. Pharisees and Pharisees. Do you think they're female Pharisees as well? Maybe one or two. And, and how do you feed them? Are they big and fat in, your, in you or are they thin and starved and hardly exist? Because something gets fed all the time. Let's describe the Pharisee quickly. Because the, the strong man comes in also to take away the army in which, armor in which we've trusted. And as I read this and I thought, oh God, I don't really want to talk on this. It's not love, it's not love and you're not in a good mood. It sounds like you're really ticked off. And he is, by the way. I mean, listen to this. So the interpretation of that comes in the next few verses in chapter in verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him because they did that a lot. Why? Because Pharisees like to have guests at dinner parties. They love the dinner parties. They love to say, you know who's coming to dinner? It's Jesus. Or who's somebody else. Anyway, we, we, we like entertaining and debating and talking. And so he went and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Why? Because Pharisees have eyes on stalks. Pharisees are very particular about what you do. If you don't do the right thing, they get really upset. So one of the hallmarks of the Pharisee in you, you might want to just check this out, is you have an opinion about everything. You get ticked off by what people do or don't do, what they wear or they don't wear, you, what they say or they don't say. And you, you use words like you call yourself a Christian. And you, you, you're pointing all the time. You don't tell everybody because when people see you, you just go, I'm fine. I'm fine. You see, because you don't let anybody in. They don't know that's going on. You just take pills for depression because you're really quite angry. And when you're really angry, you don't tell anybody. It goes inside and it eats up your gut. And then you go, I'm suffering. And really, it's you. It's your opinions. It's the Pharisees eating you up from the inside because the Pharisee is nasty. I want to say to you, say nasty Pharisee. <laughs> but I won't do that because that's a little childish and we're very mature. So Jesus, Jesus comes to dinner. How do you think Jesus would behave at a dinner party with you? Be very polite. He would be. And he came to this Pharisee's dinner party, but the freedom that Jesus had was he said, I'm not a, pros I'm not a prostitute. I'm the, son I'm the son of God. Oh, relax. If you were ch it went so cheap, we could get another one of these things. But anyway. <laughs> we'll see. It's entertaining. I'll go to the other mic if it really gets bad, but maybe now it's not on my little cheek. It'll be all right. <laughs> okay. Um. The Pharisee, Jesus goes and he doesn't wash. He doesn't do what he was meant to do. And he looked at Jesus. He, I don't think he said anything. And Jesus, I think, was just, I think he must have said to his father, Dad, I'm, I'm done now. I'm, I'm absolutely done. I want permission. 
to let him have it. And I think his father said, you know what? I'm looking forward to seeing what you do right now because I've done too. I'm done. Because right at this point almost, Jesus declared war on religion. And he comes in to this meal and he doesn't wash. He doesn't do the pharisaical thing. And this is what he says. Now then, you Pharisees, you, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not one of you, did, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. What does he say? He says, you, you bring me into your house and you worry about what I do with the washing and you are filthy on the inside and you have the audacity to turn to me and say, wash your hands, Jesus. And he said, I am so sick of you Pharisees nitpicking everything we do and inside you're absolutely filthy. God is in a good mood. You know why? Do you know why Jesus got so mad? Because ultimately there were Pharisees like Saul who was Paul who came to know Jesus later. He loved the Pharisees, but he hated what had happened to them. There are many people who start off with great, great openness and end up as Pharisees because they experience nothing. And so they fall back on rules. And they give up hoping. And they give up expecting. And there are many people who started off saying, I want to know God's love. And something happened in their lives and there was nobody to minister to them. And they get cynical and they just go, I don't believe it anymore. And they get hard. And Jesus got angry with the Pharisees. And I'm going to read this through in a minute. And it sounds awful and it sounds harsh and it sounds ugly. But I'll tell you how you can understand it. Bring your son or your daughter and have them come here in front of me. And they can be about 10 years old. And then watch me insult them. Watch me belittle them. Watch me cause them to cry. Watch me rob them of everything that you would want for them. Watch me say, what's your name? Peter? You're ugly. You're weak. You're pathetic. What did your parents do to you? Here, try this. Try that. And humiliate him until he has nothing left. When Jesus came into the world... And he came to the Pharisees. There came the point where he said, I'm really, really, really tired of watching you rob the people who my father loves of their inheritance. I'm really, really angry with what your posturing robs everybody else of. So I'm angry at what Satan has done in you. And I'm calling it out now. I'm in a good mood. I'm just taking the armor of the bully. So that's what the armor looks like. The armor looks like bullying. I tell you, uh, so this is what it is. It's, you're full of greed and wickedness. You worry about the outside and you ignore what's going on inside. Woe to you Pharisees because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. You worry, worry, worry about the details of how much you give, what you do with your stuff. 
your portion, your stuff. This is for God. This is for me. This is for God. This is for me. This is for God. He goes, you're so anal about everything you do because you're fulfilling these requirements that I don't give you, the Pharisees give you. I'm not a God who measures like that. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respect for great greetings in the marketplaces. You spend so much on how you look and how you appear. You spend all your time having your hair and your beard trimmed and your clothes done properly so that you look important and everybody will look and say, oh, there's an important man. And God said through Jesus, I detest it. I absolutely detest this posturing, this posturing about what people think and who you think you are. He was in a good mood when he said that and he loved the people that were being hurt. He just wanted to take the armor off those who were doing the damage. He got angry with the Pharisee because he loves you. And he didn't want you to see you and me subject to that kind of treatment. The kind of God who loves you will take on the Pharisee because he doesn't want you to be abused anymore. And he will take on the Pharisee inside you because he doesn't want others around you to be abused anymore either. And he wants the Christian church to come to terms with the Pharisee and each of us. He's not condemning us. He's just saying, know it. This is the fruit of the Pharisee. It's energized by Satan. And it's called religion. And it lives by rules, outward appearances, and attitudes. Woe to you because you are, are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. Do you know what that means? It means that in the, in the illegal process, when you, if you walked over an unmarked grave, you'd be unclean for, for seven days. And Jesus was really saying in terms of the kingdom, when people come in touch with you, they are seven days away from the kingdom. They're unclean. They are defiled. They're not brought into anything that is kingdom. You, you drift them, you pull them back, not forward. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through this in detail. I want to give you a real path. So guess what happens? He's saying all of this, and one of the experts in the law, which are the Pharisees and the experts in the law, answers Jesus as a teacher, when you say these things, you insult us. <laughs> I mean, you know, you don't get it. Because he's saying, well, you're talking to the Pharisees now. You're not talking to the experts in the law. Because most of us like to give disclaimers. Well, I'm glad he's getting at them. But Thank you, Lord. And so Jesus, in his, he was on a rant. I mean, there was no doubt about it. He said, so what does he say? And you experts in the law, woe to you. You load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you, you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Who were the experts in the law? They've got an opinion on everything. Experts in the law have an opinion on everything, but they do nothing to help you. And Jesus said, I hate that. I have come to serve you. I have come to help you. I've come to reveal truth to you and help you carry truth. Experts in the law fixate on what you should do and how you should do it, but they don't help you with anything. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets and it was your ancestors who killed them. And he goes on to a whole tirade over how these guys killed all the prophets and the blood was, their, their blood would be on them. What he was saying is, in one sense, you quote everybody who's dead and you respect nobody who's alive. You quote the prophets because the only prophets acceptable to anyone is one who's dead. 
You know that, don't you? I would be most respected when I'm dead. You will be most respected when you're dead. When you're alive, you're an irritation. Seriously. So at your, at your funerals, everybody says things they should have said it all the time. We are very strange. And he says, I'd, I'd like you to speak truth and respect to one another while you're living. And not build great memories to people who have died. I want you to honor those around you. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key of knowledge to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. That's terrible. You've taken away the key to knowledge, and you yourselves have not entered. That's cynicism. That's cynicism at its worst. You cut down everything anybody does when it comes to Jesus, and you don't go forward yourself. You just make commentary all the time. You make commentary all the time. So people don't even speak their heart to you because they don't trust you because you're going to destroy them. You're cynical. You stopped growing about 25 years ago. You live off testimonies from the past and you don't enter in yourself and you stop everybody else from growing because you don't like the way people worship and you don't think that's biblical and you don't think this and you don't think that and you don't have the courage to actually test it out. A lot of people have opinions and then they very seldom come and talk to me. I really respect people who come and talk to me. Because there's a humility in saying, what do you think? It's easy to have opinions. But many of them are based on nothing. They just protect our dysfunction. And Jesus came to set us free and make us whole. So we will be uncomfortable. So we don't want to keep the Pharisee alive, do we? even though he does act as a friend for a long time. And he does protect us. And we have known him. I mean, we know first names on you know, our, our pet Pharisee that lives in us. And the armor that Jesus gives, and I'm really just going to speed this right through to the end now, is that instead of, if you look at the Pharisee woes, they're all about things you do. And everything that Jesus wants us to take hold of is relational. So, don't worry about outside appearances. Walk in grace and nurture your relationships. Accept people where they are. Allow justice and love from the Father's heart to trump legal nitpicking. Let people be wrong while you love them into rightness, whatever that is. Don't draw attention to what people aren't doing. Draw them to Jesus and he will draw attention to the stuff that needs to be changed in behaviors. Love people where they are. Take the time to get to know them before you just look at their behaviors and condemn them. Don't love the important positions or how you look. Just serve. Just say, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? How can I help? Stop worrying about what you're not getting and start asking what you can give. Don't be an unmarked grave where people come in contact with you and they leave defiled because of your negativity or your attitude or your lack of love or your gossip. Be a testimony to the love of the Lord and when they come into your presence, they find acceptance and they see something of Jesus in the way that you love. We're never going to do this perfectly, but even in doing it not perfectly, you can say to them, I'm not doing this perfectly. With humility, be somebody who blesses people through your brokenness, through your imperfection, but through 
your kindness. Don't be an expert in in the law, being an expert in helping people to enter into grace. Let people come into your presence and never feel condemned. Let them come into your presence and never feel judged. Let them come into your presence and always find hope for the future and healing for their past. Let them experience Jesus through your open heart and let them hear from Jesus through the way that you relate how you have met Jesus in your life and how he's been gracious to you. So lift your heart, lift your life, lift the skin off and let them see into you. Let them see your wounds because they will be blessed. Don't build tombs and uh, for those you listen to on TV, I mean don't build these great big Accolades for those you listen to on TV or download from iTunes. Honor the people who live among you. Honor those, I want to say who teach, but it feels like that I'm saying you should honor me, which you should do, but we should honor each other. That's what I'm really wanting to say. Honor each other. Value each other while we're here, not just at our funerals. Don't quote everybody else except the person in the room with you value what they say. Listen to what they say. We're all learning this stuff. Don't always argue. Just listen. Don't always have another word. I've got a lot to learn in this area. But listen. What's the heart saying? Starve the Pharisee. And finally, go first. In other words, enter into what you say you believe. Don't just talk about it and watch other people do it. Press through your discomfort, your shyness. Ask for help. Enter into the kingdom. And then invite others to join you where you have already gone. Don't live off other people's experiences. Don't chicken out all the time. You go first. Make mistakes. Allow a culture of mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes here. We're learning. I'd rather we made mistakes and didn't do anything. You go first and then share your experience. And Paul writes later in Corinthians, he just says, so that we can be the fragrance of Jesus in the world in which we live. So Jesus got really angry with the Pharisees because they so were so unwilling to let their hearts be open to the living God. Well, they didn't know how, but we do in Jesus and with one another. Let's stand.